Hey, today after the second service, they're going to meet with the kids, whoever wants to be a part of it, um, and do some uh, practice for just doing a few songs on Christmas Eve day or morning, because that's, uh, that's Sunday. So um, we're going to go over some Christmas songs with them. They'll come up on that, on that morning and sing a little bit for us. We don't have a Christmas program. Um, some years we do, some years we don't. It's just, um, you know, if anybody wants to see that happen next year full force, uh, we need someone to step up and kind of lead it. So let us know if you're interested in doing that. It's just a, it's a lot um, to add to the list. Um, so anyway, we're going to do a few songs, and so they're going to practice today for about 45 minutes after the second service, so you're welcome to stick around or have your kids stick around for that. And then they'll do it next Sunday also. We're trying to get that organized, too. Yeah, we are caroling, but we don't have a schedule yet. So we're working on it. Uh, just anybody back there, I think, um, to, which is sixth grade and under. Or what is it, Josh? He didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Scott, sorry. Caroling's for you. Yeah, maybe 10 and under. How's that? 12 and under? There's no limit, I guess. If, they're, if your kids are back there... They can sing. We'd love to have them. So, all right. This morning, this morning, we're going to be in Numbers chapter 7 and 8. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, Numbers 7 and 8. These next two sections, 7 is actually one of the longest chapters in the Bible, but we're going to cheat a little bit and skip a lot of stuff because it's very repetitive. They say the same thing 12 different times, and so we will read it once. And you get to read the rest on your own if you want to. Um, And so seven will go quickly. Eight is important also. Um, Seven is when they bring offerings to the Lord. They've taken the children of God has, taken the children of Israel out of Egypt, um, delivered them like they asked, like they prayed for. Um, He's been showing them that he's their God who can be trusted through all the miracles and things that he's been doing um, and, uh, and defeating their foes. All their adversaries have been defeated so far, except for themselves. Um, We're our own worst enemy a lot of times. Um, and, and now he's establishing the worship. And then we've got the tabernacle behind us, and we've got how this is all going to look, who's going to be doing it. And so and in this chapter 7, um, the folks bring an offering to the Lord. Um, not something that God's asked for. It's just something they've decided to do. And you've noticed that, I think, if you've been you know, reading with me, um, especially in Exodus uh, chapter 26 and, and then in, in 35, I think, you see the children of Israel just being moved by the Spirit to bring a gift for the worship of God. Uh, not something he's asked for, something that just God put on their heart, and they did. They followed through on it. And this is one of those moments. And verse 1, now it came to pass when Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle, the tents up, that he anointed it and consecrated it in all its furnishings uh, and the altar and all its utensils. So he anointed them and consecrated them. Now all that means is he set them aside for this specific purpose. There's lots of tents in this camp, but this tent is a special tent. This one's going to be used for the worship of God. It's consecrated, set apart. Um, In our walk with Jesus, uh, that's what he wants to do with us. He takes us out of the world. We get saved. We believe on Christ. He delivers us from our sins as we cried out to him. Um, We learn over time that he can be trusted. He's a faithful God because of all the miracles and all of our enemies that have been defeated. Um, then he establishes worship with us and shows us, here's what I, here's what I like and here's what I don't like. I, you used to do it all sorts of different ways, but I want to be worshiped just like this. Um, and we begin to learn that. Um, and so we get to this place where God wants us now 
to consecrate ourselves. I've taken you through all that. You're all saved. We're not talking about eternity now. We're talking about something that naturally comes from a person who's a born-again believer as they begin to consecrate their lives. They begin to take all the things they used to do with their bodies, with their souls, with their minds, with their eyes, their ears, their mouth, and they begin to consecrate all these parts of our bodies to be used for the Lord now, exclusively. I'm not here to please myself. I'm here to live for Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ live in me. And that's the idea behind this here. We want to consecrate this tabernacle, this place where God dwells, this place where God is worshipped, this place where the light of the, of the Lord is, is present. Um, all these things are very symbolic of our walk with Jesus. And so we want to do that. Um, we want to have that consecration, but it's something we do. He doesn't force it on us. This is something that, that we do. You have to decide that. I have to decide that personally. I'm going to consecrate my life to God. I'm going to give it to him. I'm going to give my family to God. I'm going to raise them in the ways of the Lord. I'm going to have a biblical worldview. I choose to do that. I'm going to come to church. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. These are things that we decide to do. They're, they're not going to happen automatically. Um, this is the place where God wants to meet us, and he wants us to consecrate our lives. It's, it's reasonable and an acceptable sacrifice, the Lord tells us in the New Testament. It's reasonable. Verse 2, then the leaders of Israel, the heads of their father's houses, who were the leaders of the tribes and over those who were numbered, made an offering. And they brought their offering before the Lord, six covered carts and 12 oxen, a cart for every two of the leaders and for each one an ox. And they presented them before the tabernacle. This is above and beyond everything else. God never said, make sure you make some carts and give them up. This is something that they decided to do. It looks like you guys have a lot of heavy lifting. We're going to, have to be carrying this tabernacle around with us, uh, uh, packing up and moving, hopefully soon, you know, they would say. Let's get to the promised land. Um, but there's a lot. And so they, they made these carts for them and gave them a set of oxen each to pull these carts. And they're going to distribute them to the sons of Aaron here. He has three sons. Um, and and uh, here, here's what it looks like when he breaks it down. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Accept these from them, that they may be used in doing the work of the tabernacle of meeting. I think that's interesting. Not every gift is automatically to be received. Moses obviously went to the Lord. Hey, these guys brought six carts. You never told me to ask for six carts. This is something they're doing on their own. What do I do with this gift? What do I do with this offering? He says, receive it. It's okay. Receive it. But it's not always okay. I don't know if you know the story, but uh, Calvary Chapel started Maranatha Music back in the day. That was where it started, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mason. A man came up to Pastor Chuck Smith and said, I want to give you a million dollars for Maranatha Music. I want to get this thing going. I want to see these kids going. And I don't know how many of us would have prayed much about that. I'd have been like, bank it, man. I mean, great. You got a check now. I'll cash it. You come with me to the bank. You know, he says, well, let me pray about it prayed about it. And God says, do not take this money from this man. He'll call Maranatha his own. He'll say he made it and I want it to be of me. So he told the guy, no, he told the guy, no, we can't take it. I don't know. <laughs> Give me a try. Try me. I don't know. <laughs> Offer me a million dollar check and I'll, I'll pray for a little bit. Um, it's interesting though. These are great men of God they know where their provision comes from and that God's not poor, that God's not dependent upon man. 
Um, he says, I got these new carts. Normally, I'd take the vet, you know, <laughs> but I'm not so sure you want me to have it because you didn't say so. And that's just a great way to run a ministry. That's an excellent way to seek. I don't know. This is great, guys. Thank you. But we're going to park them over here until I hear from God on this. And he does. And God says, yeah, you can take these. Uh, take them, use them, he says, accept these from them, that they may be used in doing the work of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall give them to the Levites, to every man according to his service. So Moses took the carts and the oxen and gave them to the Levites, two carts and four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershon, according to their service, and four carts and eight oxen he gave to the sons of Merari, according to their service, under the authority of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. But to the sons of Kohath, he gave none, because theirs was the service of the holy things which they carried on their shoulders. See, this would have been an easy division for me. Two for each guy, right? There's six uh, carts. You've got three guys, two, two, two. It's easy math for me. Not so. This, these folks, these Kohathites, because remember, they carried the the utensils inside of the tabernacle that were supposed to be carried on their shoulders. Remember the, the bars that would go through the rings and they would lift them up and carry them. It had to be carried by hand. You couldn't put them on a cart. This should send up a flag for you and remind you of what we read a couple weeks ago in Second uh, Samuel chapter 6. The story being, and I'll try to give you a, a brief you know, synopsis, uh, the children of Israel went up to war against the Philistines and the Philistines won and actually took the Ark of the Covenant in that battle in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And it was taken by them for a long time until they got tired of being plagued by it, and they decided to give it back to Israel. David, the king at the time, says, let's bring it back to Jerusalem where it belongs. And so they get all excited, and they get this huge parade going, and they got the trumpets, and they got the dancers, and they got everything going, and they put the Ark on a cart. Not supposed to do that. As the cart's rolling down the road, poor God trips and stumbles, and the man reaches out to help God out, puts his hand on the Ark of the Covenant to stabilize it, and he instantly dies from touching it because he's not allowed to touch it. Only the priests could carry that. Only the priests could touch it. David threw a fit, got all mad, just went into prayer. I don't know why God's killing my guys, you know, just because we're trying to do the right thing here. And here's the problem. It was never meant to be put on a cart. It always had to be carried by the priests. I want it done my way. Here's the thing, folks, to bring it home and um, to apply it to our lives. God has never asked us to do difficult things. Just do it like I asked. That's all I want from you, God says to us. Just do it like I asked. I appreciate the parade, and I love the trumpets, and I see your efforts, and I see you're, you're trying really hard, but you're not doing it like I asked. You're asking me to come along with your plan because it's extra special when it's not what I asked you to do. It's simple. Just put the poles in the rings and carry it like I asked you to. God has called us to worship him in spirit and truth. A very simple, beautiful worship experience with God. Very personal. Um, We got back from a fantastic wedding. It was an absolute blessing, but busy. If you've ever married off a kid, it's busy. And good busy, not complaining, but busy. And we're running around. We get back here finally. We're trying to settle down. I pull the car in for running my errands. Jenny runs out and says, leave the car running. I'm going. And she's going to hop in and head to the store. I said, hold on a minute. Let me go with you. And she goes, oh, it's a date. <laughs> 24 years of marriage, that's a date. Okay? <laughs> for you young folks who are like, really? Oh, Wow. It used to be, get the roses delivered at three before she starts getting ready. 
Oh, and she gets the makeup on, and the car's warm, and we're ready to go, and the reservations are made. And we go there, and we have this fantastic meal, and then we maybe see a show or something like that, and it's a fantastic thing, and it is. And guys, you need to do that once in a while. You know, when you can afford it, you need to do that. But now, when lives are like this, just going to the store where I'm pushing the cart, and she's chucking things in the cart, and we're laughing and having a great time, that's one of the best dates we've ever had. It's so fun, you know? We need this. We don't need that. We don't need that. I didn't mean, of course we don't need that. It's fun. It's simple. It's easy. It's so relaxed. It's such a blessing. It's so, I don't know. Those are, I'll, I'll, I remember her reaching for celery. You know, I know that seems unromantic, but it isn't. It's super, what, what is mundane is not with her. Does that make sense? Christ has called us to that kind of relationship with him. We like the trumpets, and it is fun to have those mountaintop experiences and go to the conferences and have deep men thoughts with other men beating on drums and talking about God. And that's important once in a while. But it's in the everyday where this morning when you got up and you prayed, you actually thought to pray before you showed up, God, I just hope that you speak to me today. And I'm excited to worship you today. Nothing fancy or flowery. There's no on your knees. There's no waving of the hands. There's no, you know, laying before the Lord on the ground. Just a simple, what what was mundane, brushing your teeth or shaving your legs or whatever it is that you did this morning turned into just a little bit of time with God, you know. God wants it simple. I don't need the cart. I don't need the parade. I never asked for any of that. But what I'd like you to do, do it like I asked. That means a lot to me when you're obedient. I love that. That's important. Verse 10. Now the leaders offered the dedication offering for the altar when it was anointed. So the leaders offered their offering before the altar. For the Lord said to Moses, they shall offer their offering one liter each day for the dedication of the altar. They're going to have 12 days of dedication. Each guy's going to bring from his family an offering, and it's the same offering. So here's what we read at one time, and we kind of run the mimic machine, the dim- the duplicator here. And the one who offered, some of you are like, what's a mimicking machine? Well, if, if you've been in school back in my day, the teachers would put it on and they go, and that's what a copier was back then. Okay, back to the word of God. And the one who offered his offering on the first day was Nashon, the son of Aminadab from the tribe of Judah. So here's their offering. His offering was one silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels and one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering. One gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense. One young bull, one ram, and one male lamb in its first year as a burnt offering. One kid of the goats as a sin offering. Um, And for the service uh, of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, in their first year, this was the offering of Nashon, of the son of Aminadab. So there it is. And they would do this 12 different times. Each day they would do this. And so by the time you're done, you have uh, you know, 12 of everything, 12, 12 silver uh, pans, 12 silver bowls, and 12 uh, golden bowls, and, and so on. And that was for the service of the Lord. And they would just bring this. It's just something that came up. They decided to do that. And, and I love that. Sometimes people just get it on their hearts to... To, to, to do things like that. This, the Holy Spirit stirs them to do that. We've got a lot of examples of that. I, I 
Too many to tell. It seems like every phase of this ministry, when God, we feel, wants to move in a new direction, someone just says, I don't know why, but God just wants me to do this. I'm like, wow, praise the Lord. I mean, I know he's not surprised, and I know it was between them and God, but I'm always, unfortunately, I'm surprised. I'm like, I don't know how we're going to do this. Boom, whoa. I know how we're going to do this now, you know. Um, There's a lot of examples like that, and it's been good. And it isn't everybody, though. It's, it's usually two or three people, and that's it. That, just enough to get to the next phase, to just do the next thing, and it's just a beautiful thing. Um, and so they do this, these guys, every day. The, the next one is uh, Elzer. Uh, no, I skipped a lot of people. Let me, let me read their names because um, there's, a, there's a reason for this. Uh, uh, Nathaniel does it. He's on the second day. Eliab does it on the third day. Um, Elzer on the fourth day. Shelmute. Uh, Mule, <laughs> put a little French accent, nobody knows. Um, uh, Eliasaph uh, on the sixth day, uh, Elishama on the seventh day, Gamaliel on the eighth day, Abidin on the ninth day, uh, Ahizer on the tenth, uh, Pegiel on the eleventh, and Ahira on the twelfth. These are the folks that all brought their stuff. Now, now, God takes the time in this small book, because this is a small book considering it spans 6,000 years of history, okay, um, in this small book, takes almost an entire chapter and documents in detail a repetitious sacrifice. That's important to me, and I think that's important for all of us to remember that no matter what man sees you do, no matter what anybody recognizes, God sees every single sacrifice, every single offering you offer to him, every single prayer. None of it is missed. None of it is overlooked. None of it's mixed in with the gang or with the group. It's all personal, and he takes it personal, and he watches that, and he writes it down. Each one of these guys gave the same thing, but each one of these guys gets an entire paragraph in God's word saying, I saw that. I recognize that sacrifice you did. I understand that. It doesn't have to be monetary or anything like that. It could just be prayer. I know that you've been on your knees praying for your grandchildren. I know you've been praying for your wife or your spouse, your husband, whatever it may be. I know you have been, and I've been hearing, and I've been writing it all down and collecting all those prayers. You know, none of it's missed by God. It's very important to him. And I think that's why he puts that down there. So do take the time to read that for the sake of those 12 men. This morning, we want to get through another chapter and have communion. So I'm not taking the time. Um, but um, on your own, uh, you know, be sure and read over those things and notice that and, and insert your name, you know, for whatever gifts and whatever sacrifices you've offered to the Lord. He knows that and he sees that um, and he, he remembers Um, Now, um, verse 84, let's start there. Uh, This was the dedication offering for the altar from the leaders of Israel when it was anointed. Twelve silver platters, twelve silver bowls, and twelve gold pans. Now, here's where he does combine them. He does bring them together because we are a body, because we're a group of believers, all acting individually, but when brought together, everything flows like it's supposed to. It comes together. So they have everything they need. Each silver platter weighing 130 shekels, each bowl 70 shekels. All the silver of the vessels weighed 2,400 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The 12 gold pans full of incense weighed 10 shekels apiece, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. All the gold of the pans weighed 120 shekels. All the oxen for the burnt offering were 12 young bulls and rams, 12, the male lambs in their first year, 12, 
with their grain offering and the kids of the goats as a sin offering, 12. And all the oxen for the sacrifice of peace offerings were 24 bulls and rams, 60, the male goats, 60, and the lambs in their first year, 60. This was the dedication offering uh, for the altar after it was anointed. Now, when Moses went into the tabernacle of meeting to speak with him, he heard the voice of one speaking to him from above the mercy seat. That was on the ark of the testimony, but uh, from between the two cherubim, thus he spoke to him. Now, chapter 8 is what he said. But what I just want to go over quickly is God has a chair. (laughs) He doesn't have a car. He's not on a motorcycle and he's not in a plane. And I said this first service, it sounds like a Dr. Seuss book when I say it like that. He's in a chair. He's stable. He's stationary. We can always find him. We know where he is, but he doesn't move with us. We move with him. If you want to meet God, you go to him. Now he dwells in our hearts. We know that he lives there, but he's here. Moses knows that I'm going to him to ask, to speak. What do you want to do next? What's the next phase in ministry? What are we going to work on next, God? I don't want to make a move without you. We could go on autopilot and ask you to come along with us, but we're not going to do that. We're going to go and listen. I'm going to the chair where you sit, and that's where we come. We come in prayer. In prayer, we come to the throne room of God, and we ask him, and we ask our petitions. We put them before him. We lay our hearts before him and say, God, what do you want to do here? I've got this dilemma. Here's my situation. And we put it out for him. I've got A, B, and C. That's what I think. But if there's a D, E, and F, let me know because I want to do whatever your plan is. Bring things to God. Sometimes we have a bonfire out here for the harvest party. And I've been trying to figure out how can we work in a teaching there instead of using the pumpkin every year. No offense. I like the pumpkin. But I think that I'd like to do something different. And I got to thinking about that. The fire when you go out there and you have this fire and it's, it's raging, if it's, if it's up high, this is obvious, but there's more light the closer you get to it. If you remember right, the, the tabernacle has the pillar of smoke and the pillar of fire, depending on whether it's day or night. Daytime, it's smoke, and it covers over the children of Israel and provides a covering for them. It's a little bit of a, a shade covering from the desert heat, and that's a good thing. And they would stay within that. But on At nighttime, it's a fire in the center of the camp, which is like the nightlight for the nation of Israel. In the middle of the desert, it gets pretty dark. I mean, there's no artificial light back then, obviously. And so you're surrounded by that. And here's this pillar of fire in the middle. And the closer you are to that fire, the more light there is. Everybody's seen movies, right, where they light a fire to keep the wolves away? You know, know, that's how you do it. That's how you keep them at bay. Where are the wolves? They're just outside the light. They're just on the outskirts. You see their eyes glowing in the movies. You see them just on the edge out there. See, when the children of Israel want to do evil in the sight of the Lord, they try to find darkness. They move away from him, and so do we. When we get it in our hearts and in our minds to do some kind of sin, we pull away from that light. We don't want to read our Bible so much anymore. That's the old adage. Is, um, this book will keep you from sin, but sin will keep you from this book. We move away from the light. We slide away from it, out to the edges where it's a little bit darker, where we're not seen. It's not so bright where I want to see. Because what I want to do, I don't want that known. The problem with that is the further we get away from the light, the more vulnerable we are to the wolves. And that's where the sheep get eaten. That's where we get taken out. God doesn't say, I want you to stay as close to me as possible because that's the way it's going to be and I'm God. He could say that. But he does that for our protection. Stay close to me. The wolves are out there. The traps are out there. The pitfalls are out there. It's dark out there. Stay where the light is. Yeah, it's no fun in the light, though. 
Well, you can go have your fun, whatever you want to call fun out there in the darkness, but you're very vulnerable out there to attacks, to traps, to snares, to pitfalls. And we do. That's why I think he says specifically, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. (laughs) The rod is to get us out of those tight places. The staff is to hit the wolves on the head, you know. But the rod keeps us, it's got the hook on the edge of it, and he pulls us out of the rocks that we fall into because we weren't where we were supposed to be. Guys, stay as close to the center as possible, close to Christ as possible, close to the light, as close as you can, as bright as it can be in your life. Just shine more light there. It's safe. It's safe. And it's good for you. And that's where he is anyway. So anyway, he tells him, look, I go, I'm going to where you are. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be where you are. And so he goes to the mercy seat to ask um, and, and uh, to get counsel from God. Now, chapter 8, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and say to him, when you arrange the lamps of the seven lamps, uh, the seven lamps shall give light in the front of the lampstand. So make sure you turn those towards the center of the room. Now, that's a no-brainer. But, the, you know, they're not like a flashlight or a, a lantern. They've got, like, a direction. So you pull these lamps that are supposed to be setting on this, what we call a menorah. It's, a 12, or it's, a, it's got seven branches on it. They'd set these lamps on it that are full of oil. Set, move them towards the center so they can see. It's supposed to shine off this gold and all everything in the room. It'll shine and, and fill up the place with light. So turn them. And Aaron did so. He arranged the lamps to face toward the front of the lampstand as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, can you believe you'd pray about something like that? That God is that specific on certain things? Really? The, the, the direction of the lamp? That's what you're going to spend this time with me about? Absolutely. There's a reason for all of it. I want it to shine light. I want you to have light, to do the service of, of God. I don't want it, any darkness or shadow. I want it facing the way it's supposed to. So they hear from God. He tells them what to do, and they do exactly what he says. Now, um, this workmanship of the lampstand was hammered gold from its shaft to its flowers. It was hammered work according to the pattern which the Lord had shown Moses. So he made the lampstand. Now, this is one piece of gold. It's not a bunch of pieces where they glued on each branch, you know, kind of thing, or, you know, welded it on. This is one piece of gold and they hammered it out of one solid piece of gold. And that's on purpose. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them ceremonially. Thus you shall do to them to cleanse them. Here's what you do. Sprinkle water uh, of purification on them and let them shave all their body and let them wash their clothes and so make themselves clean. Real similar to what the Nazarite vow was where they'd shave their head and get all cleaned up and, and whatever grew from that point on was you know, the Lord's. It was their sacrifice to God. Set these guys apart. These guys are actually becoming a sacrifice to God. Now he's not going to actually throw them on the fire but they're going to be a wave offering, what they call a wave offering for the Lord. When they would take a meat or, or some kind of grain or something, they would wave it before God. It was his, but they would use it, okay, just so you understand where we're headed here. They do the same thing with these Levites, with these priests. They wave them before, well, they don't pick them up and wave them. That, well, maybe they did. I don't know. It'd be kind of funny. Bob, you put on some weight, you know, whatever. Um, but they're going to wave them for the Lord because they want to make sure that we know that these are yours, God, but they're serving or being used to serve us. Um, then let them take a young bull with its grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil, and you shall take another young bull as a sin offering. And you shall bring the Levites before the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall gather together the whole congregation of the children of Israel. So you shall bring the Levites before the Lord, and the children of Israel shall lay hands on the Levites. So we see that laying on of hands, okay? Um, they bring these guys before the Lord. It's a wave offering, and all of Israel comes and witnesses it. 
They acknowledge that these men are raised up by God to minister to us and for us, and we lay hands on them, recognizing them as the authority placed over us by God. That's important. They do that. We see the same thing in the church today. The, The New Testament tells us you lay hands on them. You lay hands on people. Lay hands on no man. Suddenly, he says, don't do it hastily. Don't do it tonight. We have all these in Timothy, in the, in the book of Timothy, of all the, the rules and regulations that kind of follow along with that. Make sure these guys are qualified for this. Um, and God raises them up. It's a calling. See, they didn't vote on this. This isn't a political campaign where the Levites won out. They, you know, they drew the short straw or something. Or, um, this wasn't a ladder that they climbed. You know, if, I, if I'm good enough, I get to be a Levite. This is ordained, and it's a calling of God, and it it only comes from God. And the men that lay hands on them are only doing what God's asked them to do. Throwing that out there for you. Very important. You don't get to just choose. You've got to be called into this. Um, And so they did. And they laid hands on them. And Aaron shall offer the Levites before the Lord like a wave offering from the children of Israel, that they may perform the work of the Lord. Then the Levites shall lay their hands on the heads of the young bulls, and you shall offer one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering to the Lord to make atonement for the Levites. So the Levites, before they can serve, the people have to take care of their own sin first. Okay, It doesn't do any good for them to show up full of sin because they're just going to get consumed by the fire. They had to get holy first before they could offer up sacrifices for the other people. It's the same thing for us. you got to get saved before you can bring people to Jesus. You need Jesus. You need to understand your faith. Be full of the Holy Spirit. Get saved, and then you can start witnessing. It's hard to witness when you're an atheist. It doesn't work. Um, you really need Jesus. I don't, but you do. It, it doesn't fly, you know? You've got to get saved, and these guys knew that. If you guys need a sacrifice of sin, I need a sacrifice of sin. I'm no better. The Levites were no better than the rest of Israel. They were just called, and so they needed the sacrifices like everybody else needed the sacrifices. And you shall stand the Levites before Aaron and his sons and then offer them like a wave offering. I think I read all that. Um, after, the, after that, the Levites shall go into the service of the tabernacle of meeting. Uh, so you shall cleanse them and offer them like a wave offering, for they are wholly given to me from among the children of Israel. I have taken them for myself instead of all who open the womb, the firstborn of the children of Israel. And that's what he used to do. Um, that, and he'll read about that. We'll read about that right here. Uh, For all the firstborn among the children of Israel are mine, both man and beast. On the day that I struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified them to myself. I have taken the Levites instead of all the firstborn of the children of Israel. And I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and his sons from among the children of Israel to do the work for the children of Israel in the tabernacle of meeting and to make atonement for the children of Israel, that there be no plague among the children of Israel when the children of Israel uh, come near the sanctuary. He says that a lot. Children, 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 children. He wants them to understand that. You're like my kids. This is how I see you. As a father, I'm giving you this to protect you, to help you, to draw you near to myself, to educate you, um, to make you clean. This is all for you, like my kids. Um, You're not my enemies. You're my kids. And I want these Levites to do this for you. Um, I've called them to this, and I've set them apart for this. Thus Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel did to the Levites, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses concerning the Levites. So the children of Israel did to them. And and you'll see that over and over again. We did it because God said so. God said so, so we did it. Simple, simple, simple walk with the Lord. In Jesus, that's all you do. What did he say? That's what I do. It's It's not check your brain at the door. It's 
I have learned that God is always looking out for my best interest. I can trust him because he's faithful to me every single time. And if he thinks I shouldn't go there, if I shouldn't do that, if I shouldn't whatever, I believe him. He's always looking out for my best interest. Now, um, that doesn't always work out that way. A lot of times we argue with God. A lot of times we convince God or we, whatever it is. Um, If we do that for too long, He'll put up with it for a little bit. I'm speaking from experience. He'll put up with my arguing with him for a little bit. Eventually, though, I've learned, unfortunately, that he'll give me my way. Uh, If it's not death, you know, imminent death, (laughs) he'll say, okay, go ahead and try that. I know you said no, but I really want to do this. Yeah, I know. You've told me like 20 times, go ahead and try it. And I go try it. And I end up coming back to him and saying, that didn't work out. You know, I know. I told you that. It wasn't going to work out. But you didn't listen to me. So you're ready to get back on track, and we've lost time. And I've lost resources, and I've lost energy, and I've lost effort, and I've lost heart a lot of times. Um, I've gained his heart, but I've lost my own, which is a good learning lesson. But folks, trust the Lord. When you read something in the Bible, and you're like, I don't know, that's just so, that's so old school. That's so counter to what I'm hearing on TV or the way that our society's headed. That's so different. I, I almost feel like a bigot or I almost feel like whatever because the Bible says this, but nobody else believes that. I'm telling you, trust God. Trust him. Um, I'm, what you're seeing right now going on in the world is absolutely counter to the flow Does anybody remember where we were headed eight years ago, four years ago, three years ago? And anybody lost heart as a Christian, we were like, oh my gosh, this world is gone. It is hell in a handbasket. It is nuts. We have seen a turn, a miraculous turn, because this shouldn't be happening. This isn't the direction we were headed. This isn't the results that should be taking place right now. Something's happening. Now, I'm not saying that's going to last forever, but I do think God's hand's involved, very much so because none of this makes sense. How could all of these people, how could all of their sin be exposed at once? How does that happen? How does everything that was done in secret be made known like this? Now that doesn't, I'm not applauding. I'm just in awe of how much is coming out. Well, that's just some really good opposition research. You'd have to do a lot of opposition research to make this all happen like this. This is different. Um, when our president just named Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, that's huge. I don't know if you know how big that is. It isn't somebody like, well, where's that in scripture? It, it's not. It doesn't make any difference. The, the point is we've had five presidents before say that they're going to do this and then realize they can't do this because there's other things going on behind the scenes. This president said, I'm going to do this, and then he did it. Even though in 1945 in the Suez Canal we promised Saudi Arabia, that we would never do this because we wanted their oil. It's changed. All of a sudden, we're doing it anyway. Now, it's going to take some time to get it moved there, and I hope, I hope, follow through, I hope there's no change of course. It doesn't seem to be. This is big. And, um, you know, someone's asked me, what, what does this mean? Read Ezekiel 38. Ezekiel 38, we believe, has to take place before the Great Tribulation takes place. Ezekiel 38 talks about the people from the north coming down, um, that's Russia. They're right above. That's the people of the north coming down. Um, Syria has the capital, Damascus, 
has to be uninhabitable. It's going to be so destroyed that it's uninhabitable ever. No one will ever live there again. People live there right now, so that prophecy hasn't been fulfilled. What makes a city so destroyed and so dangerous that it can't ever be inhabited again except nuclear? We're, something's building. And then these yo-yos in Syria fire a missile over at Saudi Arabia, and Saudi Arabia's like, what? And they're, you know, they're going to throw, I mean, it's going to happen. Things are boiling over there. And with this, Jerusalem being named the capital, I'm excited to be living in these times. It's exciting to be looking around and saying, I don't know if my 401k matters anymore, right? Here I come Bitcoin. Why not? Let's do, yeah, I don't know. I think I missed that boat, didn't I? <laughs> I won't. That's a waste of time. All right. Four years ago, I looked into it, and I didn't do it. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, guys, things are happening. And with all that happening, um, you know, Israel is the apple of God's eye. And we're going to be a very blessed nation because we're siding with them and nobody else is. And so the outpouring and the overflow of the blessing upon Israel comes to us. I mean, it's exciting to see what will take place. And I don't know when this is all going to go down or how long it's going to last um, because things do get worse. Don't get too excited. I mean, it's exciting that we're blessing Israel, but things go, they go down fast. Read Revelation. Um, but our redemption draws near. As the, as, the, as the body of Christ, we get raptured before the great tribulation. It's exciting. And so I don't know how I got off on that. I was probably reading something in the Bible here. Um, um, where am I, 20? 21, okay, Mr. 20. And the Levites purified themselves and washed their clothes. Uh, then Aaron presented them like a wave offering before the Lord, and Aaron made atonement for them. Uh, to cleanse them. After that, the Levites went in to do their work in the tabernacle of meeting before Aaron and his sons. And the Lord commanded Moses concerning the Levites, so they did to them. So now they get to begin their ministry. Now that everything's set up, they begin to serve. Um, like Christ served us, wearing a loincloth, they begin to serve the people. No better place to be. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This is what pertains to the Levites. From 25 years old and above, one may enter to perform service in the work of the tabernacle of meeting. And at, at age 50 years, they must cease performing this work and shall work no more. They may minister with their brethren in the tabernacle of meeting to attend to needs, but they themselves shall do no work. Thus you shall do to the Levites regarding their duties. And all he's saying there is you've got to pass this on to the younger guys. They've got to have a chance. We heard really good reports about last Sunday and how it went really, really well here while we were in Utah. And it's supposed to be like that. It's supposed to go off without a hitch. There should be young guys ready to move in and be able to just do, um, you know, whatever needs to be done. And basically that's all he's saying. I want you guys to work, but, you know, and hang out, you know, tabernacle flies. They can all hang out there for a little bit, but we want to make sure that the young guys are doing their job and doing their work too, because they need to learn. Guys, I'm all for parents having, you know, quiet prayer rooms and all that and having your secret closets and all that that you pray in like the Bible says. But I encourage you, leave your door cracked so your kids can see you. Your kids need to see real Jesus-walking Christians in the home, not just showing up at church. We drug me to church every Sunday. I don't know why, because when we went home, we lived like hell. That's, t that, that's not going to work because they're going to imitate what they see at home, not what they see here, not what face you put on at church. Walk with the Lord. Show them. And at age 50, they'll be walking with the Lord. 
not because they're supposed to or because that's what we've always done and I don't, my car automatically drives to church on Sunday morning, but because they want to worship the true and living God because their parents worship the true and living God. Pass that on. And it's the same here. We want everything out in the open when we're worshiping the Lord. And, and we want our kids to see that. And, uh, and we can see God's heart in this matter. You could work till you're 75, but I'd rather the young guys be doing the heavy lifting at that point. I want them to have their hands on the ministry and feel the weight of it, feel the responsibility of it, and to do it with excellence, you know. Um, and you guys can be there to kind of tell them that they're not doing it right if you want to. I threw that in there. The Bible doesn't say that. All right, we're going to have a time of communion where we have uh, the opportunity to remember Christ's death on the cross. Um, on the night that he was betrayed, they're all celebrating the Passover meal, and they're having bread and They've got the lamb there, and, and they've got the juice. And Jesus pauses and says, as we're remembering what God delivered us from years ago in Egypt, I want to change that tonight. And I want you to, re- to, to remember what this bread is now, because tomorrow I'm going to the cross, and my body's going to be broken for you, and my blood is going to be shed. And that's what this means now. So when you eat this bread, as often as you eat it, remember this, that this bread represents my broken body for you. The most important two words we can remember about this is everything God has done is for you. He's not against you. He's not trying to figure out how to get as many people out of heaven. He's trying to let everybody know how they can get into heaven. And this is the way he's done it. I'm breaking my body for you so that yours isn't broken. This cup, this cup that I'm going to pray about in a few hours that I don't want to have happen to me, this cup of wrath, is now a cup of redemption. Thank you. This cup of wrath that Jesus prays about and says, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not your will, but my, or not my will, but your will be done. God says, I want you to have my wrath poured out on you. And the wrath, that cup of God's wrath is poured out on Christ alone. The wrath that was intended for me and you was poured out on Christ. And now the cup that they're drinking, the cup we drink this morning is the cup of redemption. It's the cup of salvation. It's the cup of righteousness. Um, It's amazing that we get to drink of it even. And so the bread is his broken body for all of our sins. His blood that was shed was for all of our sins. Past, present, and future sins have all been paid for at that cross 2,000 plus years ago. And this morning we remember that. He gives us this as a gift. Communion is a gift to us because we forget. We forget. God is in the habit of reminding us. Um, You may not have done so well this week with God, this month with God, this year with God. may have not have been the greatest year. But our entrance into heaven, our salvation, our righteousness is not dependent upon how we performed this week, day, year, whatever. It depends completely upon what Christ did at the cross 2,000 years ago. And that I can rest in. That I'm assured of. My salvation is in him and what he did. And so we're reminded of that this morning. And so we'll take some time and we'll pray. And then we'll, we'll eat together. Lord, we thank you for this bread this morning that we hold in our hands together. It all came from one lump, um, but we're all having individual pieces of it, which brings us not only together as a body, but one with you as well. And we thank you for that. That was the intent as we eat together, um, we're closer to each other and to you um, in remembrance of what you've, done for, what you've done for us. That's why we're here. None of us are here for our own motives or our own habits or our own hobbies. We're all here because we want to worship Jesus this morning. And that's what binds us all together. 
um, despite our political opinions or our own thoughts on matters, God, we're here because we worship you, Jesus. We thank you for that. Lord, for this cup that we hold in our hands, we know that this is your shed blood. Um, It represents your shed blood. It reminds us of your shed blood for us, that it wasn't our hands, feet, or side that was pierced. It wasn't our brow that was pierced with thorns. It was yours. It was your blood that was shed instead of ours. And we eat and drink this in remembrance of you. Um, Our salvation rests upon that day um, and upon your resurrection. And we thank you for that. And so we're at peace. We have peace with God. We have peace with our Father because of you, Jesus. And we thank you for that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.